Bickley and Murata. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley Blast. Jonathan Gannon comes to the Big Red with a few red flags, namely an extremely young staff, but he's also got great enthusiasm and energy, and his power of personality has me very excited. And we should all be enthused at how well the new Cardinals head coach seems to be getting along with quarterback Kyler Murray because no one is telling the new guy to calm the F down just yet. But will it last? Because for all the dap-up bro hugs, the head coach is giving his players including Murray there is going to come a time of separation and it might be a little harsh for our quarterback because for Gannon and the Cardinals to succeed Murray has got to do two different things number one he has got to play under center where he ranked at the very bottom of the NFL seriously handicapping the Cardinals and making them very predictable offensively as seasons wore on and number two he's going to have to be extremely well prepared and that is because Jonathan Gannon says he doesn't have a playbook that he adjusts his strategy from week to week based on the opponent and that means Murray is going to have to be more intellectually and schematically engaged than ever before which means in the end on paper Gannon is going to give Murray the tough love he so badly needs and whether Murray wants it or not remains to be seen. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury affordable. They've got two great locations. You can find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. The vision that we have for him is is to maximize his skill set. You say, well, that's kind of general. No, it's not. He can throw it over your head. He can beat you on the first, second, third level throwing it, and he can beat you on the first, second, third level running it. And when you have a type of player like that, well, that's what we're going to do. We're gonna, when you have to defend a guy like that, it puts the defense in contact. Conflict, and you can't do everything that you want to do as a defense because you know that he can beat you different ways. So with him understanding, I'll work hard with making sure that he understands from a defensive perspective, hey, dude, you're not going to get this because they can't run those calls because of this. Or you're going to get a lot of this because of who you are. So what's our plan for that? Because I know they're going to spy you. I know they're going to three-man rush, two-man rush, four-man rush, and they're going to spy you. So that stresses out the coverage. So let's make sure we're doing a good job with that. A lot of different things that we'll talk about as we get going, but um, he'll have a very, very clear understanding of how he needs to operate running the offense and what defenses are going to try to do to stop him. That is Jonathan Gannon, his first appearance on Big Red Rage last week after he was introduced as the Arizona Cardinals head coach, going into detail there about the vision for Kyler Murray. I did get, I, I had a little chuckle during the Bickley Blast today. If Kyler Murray at one point during a football game last year told Cliff Kingsbury, who's pretty even-keeled, not the most energetic guy on the sidelines, to come to bleep <laughs> What might he do with this can, guy? Can you imagine yeah. what the perception is early of yeah. this energetic head coach? Yeah, well, ho- hopefully that if he tried that with the new guy, the new guy would send him off to the locker room. The Antonio Brown. You would hope. 
because that shouldn't be tolerated from a head coach. But I'm I'm digressing. Yes. All right. So so this to me is very very interesting because what we're seeing now again the the boxes that you would hope to get checked on paper obviously was a little more experience with the coaching staff maybe even the head coach you know my thoughts on it um, but but I think you can look at it and go twenty nine year old defensive court twenty nine are are the Cardinals are the Cardinals really doing this because again we saw the backlash that came with doing something unconventional like hiring Cliff Kingsbury a, a guy that hadn't paid his dues what do you think the rest of the NFL what do you think offensive coordinators across the NFL that died in the wool sixty five year old dude is going to go oh wow their def- defensive coordinator he, he's not even old as my son. Mm-hmm. And that, what did he do to deserve it? There's going to be a lot of that they're going to have to deal with. But to me, this idea that that Jonathan Gannon has come flat out and said, our quarterback is not going to spend all that time in the shotgun, I can tell you that. That's music to a lot of people's ears. But it can't be. he can't be the first one to think of it. And so making him do it and, and allowing him to be successful at doing it without creating a mess – because uh, I would think that Michael Bidwell's about had it with messes, public relations, snafus, and yeah, I, I, I'm sure he'd like an end to that for quite some time now. Yeah, they went through a lot of paper towels cleaning oh. up the last one. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. They did. They did. Um, and, and, and so, so to me, there's this is what it is. So I, I hope this is a, a, a reminder to Kyler that for all the dapping up and love and all the good stuff, because um, Jonathan Gann has also said he's had conversations with Kyler Murray uh, on the daily, which is encouraging, which means Kyler Murray is still here. Small victories, baby. I don't know. Technology would... Well, that's true. I guess you could. I guess yeah, you could have a conversation. Do that. That's a good point. Uh, about the part about getting Kyler comfortable doing things that he's not necessarily been comfortable with, and this circulated out over the weekend via Twitter. Uh, NFL research per Next Gen Stats: Kyler Murray has a ninety-two point three shotgun percentage since twenty twenty, second highest among quarterbacks during that span, behind only Jalen Hurts with a minimum of 500 pass attempts. Now, the Jalen Hurts comparison is interesting. And Jonathan Gannon talked about, you know, he wasn't an offensive coach in Philadelphia, but a part of a staff that had Jalen Hurts as a very successful starting quarterback, got the Eagles to the Super Bowl. And Gannon talked on NFL Network about how that experience could help him coach Kyler Murray moving forward. You know, the quarterback is the closest thing you have on the field to a coach. And beside, between Nick and Shane and Brian Johnson, Jalen understood that. So he, I think they did a really good job with him of making Jalen understand the why and how to play fast and efficient and problem solving on his feet. You know, we, we, don't, we didn't screw a lot of practices guys like everyone has carded periods and scripted things where people know what's coming our head coach did not do that and it was because of the quarterback he says well people we don't know how people are going to play us so you know what we're going to do to Jalen in practice we're going to give him all kinds of unscout looks he has no idea what's going on and he's got to be able to function and that's how they really improved his game and I look forward to doing that with our guy but um, you know and, and just my viewpoint of how you have to defend him what people are going to try to do to defend him the right way, he'll have a very specific vision of how teams are going to try to play him and what we can do to counterbalance that. Yeah, I, I mean, I like everything that Jonathan Gannon is saying mm-hmm. in, in this whole process. And, you know, you talked about it earlier in the show. Um, you know, 
hitting hitting home runs in the press conference, hitting home runs with these greeting videos and 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 being cordial with with his new players. Those are you you term them layups. But when you go deeper into his vision, I'm just fascinated on how this on how this vision will be put into practice for the for the yeah. Cardinals. Because yeah. look, it, it sounds great. There's a lot of work to be done, um, and it's going to be a challenge. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. There's uh, I don't think there's anybody. Re- well, the the majority of people are not sold on Kyler Murray as a big money starting franchise championship winning quarterback right now. Uh, he's being paid like one, mm-hmm. but can he get to that well, level? That's the question. And, and that's that's the big thing because if you look at the New York Giants and what they're dealing with now with a guy like Daniel Jones, that's that could have been the Arizona Cardinals, right? Mm-hmm. You could have you could have stretched that dude out. You could have gotten to to, to you could have not picked up his fifth year option. Yes, but, and started going down that road with him. But did you hear what Dan, Daniel Jones is reportedly looking for? Right, forty five million dollars a year. Right, I'll take Kyler what he's. Getting. Okay. Right. Well, th- ex- that's exactly right. So it's got to work. Yeah. And so let's let's see him put all this into practice. The honeymoon's been very good. I think Jonathan Gannon has has definitely been more impressive than not. Yes. <laughs> you can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, we will turn our focus to the Arizona Diamondbacks as Newsweek Makers Week continues. Derek Hall, president and CEO of the D-backs, joins us in studio next here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Newsmakers Week with Bickley and Murata Mornings. The Arizona Diamondbacks. Newsmakers Week 2023 continues here on day one, and it's always a pleasure to have our next guest uh, on the show, but it's a pleasure to have him in studio. I'm so glad we're back to -to face-to-face Newsmakers Weeks after what we did last year over the phone, but Derek Hall, President and CEO of the Diamondbacks, joins us in studio. Derek, good to see you. How are you? Good to see you guys, too. No, great. It is good to be back in studio, obviously, and I, I think, you know, our goal, all of us, all of your guests, is to come on to newsmakers and not say something stupid and become <laughs> a newsmaker. News. <laughs> right. And Good not become any right exactly. <laughs> right. Well let's see let's see if you can buck that. Let's see let's see what we can get I out of you, Derek. Do, let's see what we can get out of you, man. <laughs> All right, so let, well let's start here because I saw that Ken had a press conference just first time in a while he's done that, yeah. right? Yeah. To kind of outlaw or outline the vision of, of the season and where it's all going. We know that payroll disparity in baseball seems to be just a runaway train, if you will. Uh, paint a picture for baseball fans what this year hopefully will look like. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, first off, I'm really excited and, and I'll never come out, as you know, and, and give my projection or expectations. I don't do that, but I, I, I'm really excited about this team. Over 30 years in the game and there's some seasons where I'm more excited than others. Mm-hmm. This is one of those. And and it's finally a normal spring. You know, we, we both addressed the team yesterday and we haven't done that in a while either because, you know, you had two years of the pandemic, which was ridiculous, and then we had the lockout, which was ridiculous. You know, here we are now with a with a full spring and with fans feeling good. And I, I'm just telling you, from the the responses and the notes that I'm getting from our fans, and yesterday was packed out there at Salt River Fields, there is a lot of hope for this team. And people are excited about the youth, the athleticism, and the way we finished last year. 
Yeah, and at the heart of that excitement, um, you know, it, it's been pretty rare in Diamondbacks history to have a prospect as highly touted as Corbin Carroll. Yeah. A lot of people picking him for the National League Rookie of the Year. I know that there's reports of maybe some some talks of a, of a long term uh, contract already being worked out with Corbin. But just can you talk about how important he is to, to this whole movement? He, well, he really is, and, and when you talk to the kid, you see why he's just so impressive. He's so mature, and and people you know who play with him and just say, "Wait till you watch this guy." He's got so many different aspects of his game that are that are positives. Whether it's his speed or his defense or his arm, I mean, he really is you know like that five tool player. And we saw flashes of it last year in less than fifty games. But he is important because he's going to be a fixture in our outfield for many years to come. And I, I would also say the other kids too. Look, I, I did not want to want to part from from Varsho. You know, mm-hmm. I was a huge Varsho fan, and, mm-hmm. and this kid had tremendous power and he fit too. We just had an abundance of outfielders there with the depth. And when you have the surplus, you can you can make moves. And they were in high demand, all of them. Yes. Uh, but, you know, in fact, I told our we have a really nice security guard during games down in our well lobby. And, and Bill asked me before the end of the season, he's like, I want to buy a jersey and I want to be able to wear it for many years. You know, who do I put on it without you trading? I said, do Varsho. You're OK. Oh, <laughs> no. Up, yeah, he came up oh, to me the first no. day of spring oh, yesterday. Oh, and went, Thanks. I've got yeah. that Varsho jersey. I said, yeah. I'll buy you a new one. You're but doing now, a refund on that, dude. Yeah. I know you. Right. But nonetheless, you know, there, there's a lot of important pieces. I mean, people put pressure on our uh, top of our rotation and Zach Gallen, who's such a standout pitcher, or Catel Marte bouncing back, you know, Rojas, it's a Walker, the year that he had. I- I'm really excited about our lineup, and I'm excited about the depth we've created. We had huge problems in the bullpen last year, credit to our baseball operations staff. They brought in a lot of arms. There's going to be great competition mm-hmm. this spring. You brought in this kid who played in Seattle, once a rookie of the year, and, and Kyle Lewis. It's quite a lottery ticket here. You traded for the top-rated catcher out of the Toronto system. You, you, you still have top-rated prospects. Um, for this year to go the way you wanted to, how many of the, how much of that potential has to be realized? Where are we in that building stage? Yeah, really good question, Beck. And, and, and the fact that we traded for Moreno, who you know was number one, number two uh, type uh, prospect in all of baseball, we now have four in the top 15. We've never been in that kind of position uh-huh. before. So for us to do what we said we were going to do a couple years ago and really commit to the minor leagues and, and draft the right players, develop those players, hopefully sign them and control them through you know arbitration and maybe even some free agent years, it's important now that they step up. And then we, we balance that by bringing in some veterans. And when we can make, hopefully, a splash uh, free agent move, we would do it. But we'll continue to get creative through trades. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in those guys that are making the decisions. And, and by the way, players want to play here. I mean, when you look at first day of spring yesterday and you're wondering, okay, how are they all going to get their physicals in? No, they did those like two or three weeks ago. They've been here you know, for, for yeah. a couple of months because we built this hitting and pitching lab. And when you go in there a week or two ago and it's packed, um, you know, and everyone wants to be here. They like to play. They like to have a home where they have spring training and their regular season. Um, and whether it's a young kid that's now buying a home here, like most of them are, because they want to be here a long time, or it's a veteran like a Longoria who already had a home here and who's happy to play here. It's been a nice mix of both the young and, and the experienced. Derek Hall, president and CEO of the Diamondbacks, our guest here on Newsmakers Week. Uh, we thought, touched on the, the payroll discrepancy. That was a big topic of discussion yes. yesterday, but also long-term and, and looking at stadium possibilities. I know that was a big subject. Is it fair to say at this point, uh, with the lease being up to 2027, that everything's on the table in terms of possibilities for a future home for the Diamondbacks? Very fair to say. Yeah, you know, Vinny, it's um, it's a tough situation, and, and there's a lot of moving parts. I think all things equal, you know, being downtown makes makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. We love being downtown with the Suns. We love the fact that uh, there's so much activity now, um, you know, downtown, that many people are moving down there, that we have, uh, you know, of course, 
course, residential. We have apartments. There's excitement downtown. But uh, I think if you if you had your choice, you, of course you would love a new ballpark, right? But where does that happen? Where, who's the right partner for that to happen in Maricopa County? The, the, the whole point is we need to increase, and it's on me and it's on our business staff, we need to increase our revenues because the more we can increase our revenues, the model is it goes right back into the payroll or into mm-hmm. the experience that our fans are going to have at the ballpark. So obviously, you look at these new ballparks and you look at their mixed use. Can we do that downtown? Probably as well. Um, but you have to have more than just a standalone ballpark today. You have to have the hotel, the restaurants, the activation, uh, mm-hmm. you know, retail, restaurant, th- 350 days a year. So we're just kicking the tires to see where that can happen best for us. Um, and, and But I can tell you, whatever it is, it's going to be a great experience for the fans, and it's here in Maricopa County. Now, you, you know these stories because these stories go in one direction. They're not good. They get in the political realm and all sorts of stuff happens. What, what kind of timeline are we talking about here? Because if your guys are in a position where that cable on that roof, you can't operate it. Yeah. If there's no fans, that's not that's not good. I, I know mean, I'm not. not. I'm not a smart guy, but I know that's not good. <laughs> it's not a good thing, right? Yeah. It, well, it's hard to believe we're, we're the fourth oldest stadium in the league. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's crazy. And I couldn't right? believe that. Yeah, fact we're either. 25 years old and sitting out in the desert sun, right? So things are going to happen. Um, we identified years ago, you know, nearly 500 million dollars worth of needs. At the time, it was like 280, and now it's it's grown, obviously. Um, and and we have an ownership group who's willing to put in f- hundreds of millions of dollars into Chase Field. But you know, it's when do we do those repairs? How would you how would you schedule that over a three or four year period? Because you do have obviously your your regular season schedule. You hope you have postseason. You have off season events and concerts. Uh-huh. Um, but for us, at least Bic, we can still open and close the roof. We just have good. to plan it when there aren't fans Be in the off. stands, right? <laughs> right. So that's um, not good. No, yeah. At, at least it does open and close. We All don't right. want that thing to be stuck in an open position in the middle of the summer <laughs> because those will not be fun games, but it might be home field advantage. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think about the timing of, of Bank One Ballpark, Chase Field, and when it opened in terms of the big picture in, 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 the, in the baseball calendar, if you will. Yeah. It was right before the curve of these really intimate ballparks, the mixed-use ballparks and facilities that you talk about. Had the Diamondbacks started in 2000, two years later, it, it, it might have been a different story. Do you agree? Totally. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, at the time, we were convinced by the Rockies that we should go bigger, right? And you should go 50,000 yes. because look what they did with the rock pile. And today, you're designing ballparks that are anywhere from 34 to 38,000, which is the right number, you know, and it's small and it's intimate and it's loud. And it's it, it, that truly is a home field advantage where people come into our ballpark and they say, you know, I, I love Chase Field. I got great memories, but boy, it looks just really big or it looks like an airport or an airplane hangar. So, yeah, I think it would look much different today. Um, but but there's ways for us to fix it and make it look much more modernized. There's times we always talk about, should we reduce capacity? Then there's other times like opening day or when you're in the playoffs or when you have a concert, and you say, thank goodness we didn't reduce capacity because look yeah. at this place. It's full at mm-hmm. 50,000. So, that you know, that's always a coin flip. All right, uh, Derek's been kind enough to stick around a second segment. I don't know if you know that, but your guy gave his clearance on I that. I saw you so, guys both holding yeah, up, too. Right, figured, exactly. Okay, right. It's like second quarter, Derek. Second <laughs> quarter's coming up, man. Work, <laughs> All right, before we do that, though, let's close the book on the stadium discussion by saying this, because you, you know my thoughts on this. If Are there really ways to retrofit this thing, to make, to create that ambiance? And if so, what, what are the ways to do that? I think so. I don't think you're ever going to get away from that cavernous feel. You know, right. it's, it's never going to feel as intimate as you want it to, but I think we can bring it up to up to speed, up to code when it comes to premium locations. We just don't have them, right? We don't have the clubs that newer ballparks have. We don't have those four tops or or the you know the the private feeling sections in the seats. We can we can create all of that. We can redo the concourses. We can we can bring that stadium to a 
modern feel um, if, if we're indeed going to stay there and make it look more modern, make it look more new. But as far as making it feel a little closer, you know, to one another and smaller and that huge upper level, I'm not sure we're ever going to be really ever really uh, able to address that. But I think fans are OK. They, they've got great memories there. They love it. And we hear that from fans, too. I hope it works out. I hope you can stay at Chase because my family has grown up there. I, I'm proud of that. Well, and like you said, downtown is, is such a cool great. to be right in the center of it. Yeah. Uh, as Bick said, Derek's been kind enough to uh, stick around for another segment. We'll continue our discussion with the D-backs president and CEO, Derek Hall, next here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Newsmakers Week with Bickley and Murata Mornings. The Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, we continue to talk Diamondbacks with Derek Hall, president and CEO of the Arizona Diamondbacks, who has uh, been kind enough to stick around for a second segment. And we've talked about the, you know, the team, the prospects, the stadium possibilities, all the fun salaries, stuff. all the fun stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but let's go, let's zoom out to, to Major League Baseball with, with major changes to the game coming this year. And for baseball fans, it might be casual, a little bit casual about it. And you, you're going to see these changes. It's yeah. going to look a little bit different. It's going to feel a little bit different. I mean, as we, uh, are on the precipice of a new season. How are you feeling about these widespread changes? I, I like the changes. You know, they were all tested out in the minor leagues. A lot of our players already dealt with these changes when they were down in the minor leagues, and they, they proved to work and to shorten the game. I mean, there were years ago, I can remember being a fan of the game, and they the games were two and a half hours. You know, I mean, there's no excuse for a game to be three and a half hours or closing out on four hours. That's not right. We're asking fans to watch or come in every single game, and, you know, that's tough. When you have competition, you have school, You you know, especially... Saturday night games followed by Sunday midday game. So I, I like these these changes, and I think the fact that you're going to make the the players a little bit more accountable too, and they're a part of it, right? Because now you do have the the timer, and your that clock is it's real. You only have so many times you can step off the rubber, so many times you can disengage, so many times to throw over uh, before it is an automatic stolen base. The bases are bigger. I don't mind that. And then the biggest change, uh, because by the way, these rules vents I think are really good for teams like us. You know when you're an athletic and speedy team mm-hmm. having a shorter span from first base to second base or second to third mm-hmm. is certainly going to help our team I would think um, and and in addition to that the one change that people really aren't focused on is a balanced schedule and that, that helps us because now we're going to have more of those popular teams coming in here more frequently to have the Red Sox come in for a weekend this year in May is fantastic yeah. you know, and then we'll have the Yankees every other year so though you know you, you be careful what you wish for you're not going to play the Dodgers you're not going to play the the Padres, the Giants, as much as you normally would. Well, now you're going to be playing the Yankees every year. You're going to yeah. be playing, you know, the, the the Rays every year, the the Guardians. So it does still get tough. And and by the way, schedule. And I'm, I know I'm <laughs> I'm I'm going into a rabbit hole. But if you look at our schedule. That first month, wow. I mean, we open up at L.A., then we go to San Diego, then we come back and we have L.A., you know, and then we have Milwaukee, and then we hit the road and we go to the Cardinals, then we come back and we have San Diego again, you know, it's and Milwaukee is in the middle of that. It's a, it's a tough schedule that first month, so um, we've got to get out to a good start, and as long as we can play like we did last year at the end of last year, where we, we not only competed with those other teams, we beat those teams, mm-hmm. and at the recent owner me- owners' meetings that we had about a week and a half ago in Palm Beach, it was so cool to have so many different owners walk up to me and so many of my counterparts presidents come up to me and go man we hated playing you guys you know we do not like playing you guys and at the end of the year we didn't want to see you that's good i want to be that team we want to be quiet about it but i want to be that team that nobody likes to play yeah yeah hey listen and i i've said this repeatedly i'm really hoping that some of these rules changes in baseball kind of 
kind of engages me spiritually the way baseball used to it. Yeah, and that, that's I've heard my, you say that. Well, yeah. and, and that's kind of my hope here. So, my, so I'm wondering now if there's going to be accountability on the players to stay engaged and to play fast. Um, there, we know there's some resentment already to this idea. Will teams that are prepared to do that fare better? What's this going to look like? Um, competitively? It's a really good question, and I think right now um, in your PFPs and all your drills going on on the backfields, I would guess that 29 other teams, like us, are really focused on these new rules changes. I mean, we watched yesterday batting practice going on live BP with a, with a clock. You know, so the pitchers were out there watching the clock and having to having to start their, their, their delivery before. So um, it's it's been good to see our guys prepare. I think so. I think if you're better prepared, obviously you're going to have a better chance, but um, again, a number of our players players feel like they've, they're already well acquainted with it because they did so in the minor leagues and have come up here. You do have some some resistance and opposition, and I, over time it'll all be fine as long as it's good for the game. And more importantly, not just good for the game, not good for the time of the game, good for the fans, right? Yeah. Anything yeah. that we do should be yeah. good for the fans, fans like you. The elimination of the shift is going to oh, be yes. a, a transition for a lot of teams, a lot of managers, a lot of strategy changes. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the effects of that will be? Oh, I think it's that? good. I think you're going to see... Uh, uh, on base go up. You're going to see batting averages yes. go up. And again, teams like ours that like to put the ball on the ground. I mean, these kids know how to make contact. It's only going to help us. I can't tell you for the last couple of years, you know, part of baseball that I loved was being able to hit it back up the box, right? Back up the middle. And how many times that turned into a, a 6-3 or a 4-3? Like, what? That's a base hit. Yeah. You know, so now yeah. we're going to see that. Right. We're going to see that yeah. come back. And you're going to see guys hitting the other way. Now, not trying to break a shift, but just making contact and, and put the ball in play and good things can happen. Now I I don't know if you saw this, but but Vinny loves this. There's a uh, um, a Twitter account, a social media platform on this day in Arizona history. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw this, but yesterday was the uh, anniversary of your eight year contract extension. Oh boy, that you signed in 2008. Josh Burns got one of those. He lasted two years. Yeah, well, you're got, still here. Yeah, I got one uh, the first time with Josh Burns. We both right. did at the same time. Right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I've been this is my 19th season. Wow, with the Diamondbacks, and uh, you know, like I said, 31 seasons. I think. Now now in baseball, but it's been it's been awesome. I mean, I love this this place. I love watching our, our revenues grow so that we can continue to put it into our payroll. I, I love our baseball staff now. You know, I, I've always had a good relationship with our baseball staff, and I think back on the way in, uh, we were talking about you know, in all time, you'll talk about KT. I mean, you guys yeah. remember Towers? Mm-hmm. Oh, Kevin of course, was so great, right? Such a good guy and lovable, laughable. But didn't this, you once get a midnight call from Amsterdam I from did. KT? I did. He's outside <laughs> in the, the pouring rain. He's it's, it's like it's like four in the morning, yeah. and, and he says to me, "Hey, I think we should Jason Kubel." <laughs> Kubel, <laughs> where did this come from? And I'm asleep. Where did Where it come from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I, so I, this is a roundabout way to say, okay, you've been here forever. <laughs> so you, you've seen this team try some things. Yeah. Do you think you finally found the right formula? I, I do. I think we found the formula to compete, and this is who we are. This is who we should be. Right. That's not to say that we're not going to have those splashes or big free agent signings but for us to really compete and you look at the teams that do it whether it's been Minnesota in recent years or Tampa or you know Oakland always does it the Guardians do it these are the teams that do it right because they they do well in the draft they commit to their development when we first hired Mike Hayes and we said fix our minor league system first that's priority number one we were a bottom five in fact some people had us rank last 30th in all of baseball now we're a top five farm system that that's really what does it you have depth you have a pipeline you can continue to you know bring up players when when others move on and then you have those signings and you have those trades that that supplement it 
I, I do think it works. Now, is it is it fun? You know, having a payroll anywhere from you know one twenty to one forty, having to compete with payrolls that are two hundred and two fifty. No, it's not. But you can't worry about their payrolls. You just have to watch what you're doing, continue to stay consistent, and be disciplined with it, and it will pay off. And I know we can compete. I believe more in culture. I believe more in preparation, teamwork, and I and I like our our manager and coaching staff because they're also on that same page. Derek Hall, our guest in studio for Newsmakers Week 2023. On the broadcasting front, obviously there's some uncertainty with Diamond Sports, who owns the Bally Sports Regional All right, it's been a great interview. I'll see you guys. (laughs) I was waiting for him to drop that (laughs) question. Thanks. Derek, at this point, what can you... So much for growing revenues. (laughs) (laughs) What can you tell fans that are a little little wary of whether or not they're where they're going to be able to watch Diamondbacks baseball? They they will definitely be able to watch it. You know, the beauty uh, was the commissioner coming out about a week ago from his press conference here, media conference here mm-hmm. in Arizona, and he said these games will be televised. If if uh, Diamond goes away, and hopefully they don't, Bally Sports hopefully is still up and running, um, and people are used to seeing us on Bally. If not, baseball has said they would come in for those 14 teams, or 18 if you even look at others that are in a similar position, they would produce the games and make sure they're on. My guess is, from what I heard, it would be on MLB Network. So people will still have a chance to watch these games, and of course you can always listen to our flagship right here. Yeah, Right yeah. here. Well, well done, done. Yes. Lead me into my last okay. question. Uh, the announcement yesterday that uh, this will be the final year for the governor. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, Greg, Greg Schulte. Schulte is a yeah, he's a fixture in our building. He's been here since day one. Uh, he's our only broadcaster that's been here since day one. Greg is um, he's Arizona baseball, and and I love hearing his voice. We have so many fans that in the stands will will listen to Arizona sports so that they can hear Greg each and every night. Um, I've told him for years. He is he, not only does he belong, he will be in the broadcast wing of the Hall of Fame. And I hope it happens very soon so so he can enjoy it because he deserves it. And he's the uh, epitome of longevity, professionalism, and entertainment. And fans get an opportunity to celebrate him one last season. One last yeah. season with the governor. Yeah. yeah. Derek, thanks so much for thank coming you, in. Thank you, man. Spending appreciate some extra it. time with us. We Vince, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes. Uh, and best of luck this season. I'm thank sure you. we'll be talking it. to you again. Oh, yeah. Every soon. week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Derek Hall, President and CEO of the Arizona Diamondbacks, our guest as Newsmakers Week continues here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Dan was in Minnesota with both of those guys before he went to Indianapolis, before he was the cornerback back coach for the Colts. Jonathan Gannon was on that Viking staff as an assistant DB's coach, I believe, for a little while. So that's how all of that gets connected. So I think that you'll see an offense that shares a lot of DNA with what the Vikings were under Stefanski when he was there and then what the Browns look like now. So run game, yeah. under center play action, yes. all that kind of stuff is the bones of what they want to be on that side of the ball. I think it's interesting. I think that in, you know, in conversation with Drew and what I've heard about him, he got uh, interviewed to be the Raiders offensive coordinator last year. So I think this was eventually coming for him as a young coach in the league, and this looks like it'll be the opportunity. Robert Mays from the Athletic Football Show, kind of previewing what an offense could look like with... Uh Jonathan Gannon as the head coach and Drew Petzing. That's before Petzing was officially hired as the offensive coordinator. But here we are. He's in place. Nick Rollis, 29 years old, defensive coordinator. We talked about this early in the show. The average age now of head coach and the bo- uh, both coordinators on offense and defense, 34.7. The youngest trio <laughs> by far in the NFL. And, and again, so going, going to the uh-huh. Nick Rollis point, 29 years old. 
The second youngest defensive coordinator in the league is Mike McDonald from Baltimore at age 35. So a six-year difference. And you wonder how much of this is, you know, prodigy status or how much of it is just familiarity Mm -hmm. that Jonathan Gannon had with one of his position coaches in Philadelphia. Um, The process of staff construction is much different this time around than it was when Cliff Kingsbury was hired. Mm -hmm. Because as we remember and as we know, that staff construction was very much a Steve Kime production because Cliff Kingsbury came into the league with a lack of of NFL contact. And and very outwardly kept saying, I'm going to defer to Steve, I'm going to defer to Steve, I'm going to defer to Steve. And there was a lot of deferring going on from a head coach. That was part of the issue in Arizona. Well, and, and I saw a lot of reaction along the lines over the weekend, Bick, when this news happened, but what a lot of Cardinals fans wanted after the flame out of Cliff Kingsbury in year four was mm-hmm. for Michael Bidwell to go from go, hire from the outside for a general manager, hire from the outside for a head coach, and then empower that head coach to put together his staff with very little interference. And if you were looking for those things, that has happened. Mm-hmm. What the results look like uh, I think 2023 is going to be a very challenging year for the Arizona Cardinals, but at least that w- what was outlined has actually come to fruition to this point well, when he's hiring. Yeah, and what I think is going to happen is is I think that the power of Jonathan Gannon's personality is going to carry this team through training camp and up until the beginning of next season. So I think I do think there's going to be a prolonged honeymoon because everybody Jonathan Gannon seems to be getting in, coming in contact with um, is walking away going, oh, that's an interesting dude. I can see why he's an up-and-comer. Albert, I, if you haven't read the Albert Breer piece on SI.com, folks, go out and read that today. Mm -hmm. It's going to give you a real interesting look at how different this guy is. And and I I clip this paragraph to show you how interesting this is, to kind of show you that that as a head coach, Jonathan Gannon doesn't believe in the conventional things that a lot of people believe in. Like, Like, A, you have to have history calling plays to be a coordinator. He, he doesn't believe that quite clearly with who he hired, and it didn't apply to him when Nick Sirianni hired him. Mm-hmm. And so the unconventional method uh, of path, uh, it points out that, so Bobby Petrino brought Jonathan Gannon to the NFL in 2007. It didn't go well. Gannon wanted to stay in the league. Rams GM Billy Devaney, who had been with him in Atlanta, took him to the Rams in 09 where he met Josh McDaniels. Then he hooked on with Mike Munchak in Tennessee. Then he hooked up with Mike Zimmer. Uh, and so he's just kind of bounced around people. He's not been in one system for X amount of years and then just dropped off the tree like a ripe apple. Mm-hmm. So everything about Jonathan Gannon is like, there's different ways to do this, folks, I'm proof. So again, I think that uh, I think his personality is is such that he's going to bring an energy to this team that's going to carry him through this offseason. Yeah, and I think the difference between the, the paths to get to head coach between Cliff Kingsbury and Jonathan Gannon you know, even critics uh, of the Kingsbury hire had to acknowledge, well, he's got head coaching experience. It's at his alma mater at Texas Tech, but he led that program mm-hmm. for quite some time and had marginal success. 
But in turn, and Jonathan Gannon's never been a head coach. But when you look at the wealth of NFL experience oh. Jonathan Gannon has, not just from a coaching standpoint, but went through the scouting route as well, that might be invaluable as it turns Very out. Very well that was a, that was a weakness of Cliff Kingsbury. I think you just hit on the difference in all of this. That Cliff Kingsbury, even though he had been a head coach before, never seemed to have the comfort zone or the confidence level that I belong here. I know what I'm doing. I can do this. He never, ever, maybe even until the very end, didn't seem all that comfortable in that. And right down to the fact where he felt compelled to thank players for the effort when other people were seeing half-assed effort. Okay, so so that brings me to Jonathan Gannon. As you pointed out, the big difference is, even though he's never been a head coach, he's been in the NFL for 15 years. He got in the league, said, this is where I want to be, and hasn't left. Mm-hmm. So he, he's he got real NFL experience, and he's real smart. So and one of the telling lines from his opening press conference, Vinny, was the, what I don't know, I'll figure out real fast. Cliff Kingsbury would never say that. It takes somebody almost arrogant to say something like that. And that's good. You need that in a coach. Like I, I said, you've got to be fully convicted to do these jobs, to get people to go, I'm following you, man. Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Well, it's that forest there. Okay, I'm cool. And really, the only proof we got of that uh, in Hard Knocks was Chosen Anderson saying that he was riding with Cliff Kings. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Chosen Anderson. What Vinny is referring to, if you haven't heard, Robbie Anderson, boy, he was really worth the effort. He has changed his first name legally to Chosen. I looked it up on the Cardinals roster. He's still listed as Robbie on their roster. Apparently, he had already changed his name from Robbie, R-O-B-B-Y, to R-O-B-B-I-E. Oh, that is on. That is correct. You are. He did do that. He changed the spelling of Robbie. That was just another slight change. <laughs> Chosen's not so good at Chosen, huh? No. <laughs> Chosen. Make, make a choice. <laughs> Uh, I had no idea. When you said that at the beginning of the show, I had no idea that that took place. Uh, I don't think Chosen Anderson will be a part of the Cardinals' future, though. Call me crazy. Uh, Just announced Guns N' Roses heading to Chase Field on October 4th. Yeah, I just found out last commercial break. Tickets go on sale this Friday. They might have just found out. At 10 a.m., but you can win a pair now by texting (laughs) ROSES to 620-620. That's ROSES to 620. Welcome to the jungle, Guns N' Roses fan. We got fun and games. We We got got everything everything you you know. Oh, yeah. Well done, Sarah. Thank you. Uh, coming up next, we continue Newsmakers Week 2023, and our focus shifts to the ice. The uh, Arizona Coyotes general manager, Bill Armstrong, joins us next here on Bickley and Murata Mornings, Arizona sports, the local sports leader.